Roughly a year ago, God placed on my heart to investigate the spiritual fabric of Manchester and report my findings. And then I convinced myself that I didn't have the time or the resources, so I dropped it. And then just recently, I was an hour north from here, meeting with people from all over the UK to pray for the nation for the whole day. And I sat opposite a lady over lunch who, um, let's say, was certainly older than I was. And it turned out she was from Manchester, or Salford to be precise. And in discussion with her, I noted that Manchester was an incredibly dark city, spiritually. And then she just stared at me. Um, And I wondered had I missed the mark. But then she revealed to me insights and my jaw just hit the floor. And it, it was as if God was provoking me saying, what do you want? Do you want it on a plate in front of you? Like, go, inquire of me, get off your foolish backside. (laughs) The mission of the church, in part, is intercessory prayer for our local areas, cities and nations. And we do this, right? I know there are people praying for church breakthrough for their local area, for cities. Now, an observation that I would make in meetings and conferences is that we habitually pray baby prayers. It sounds eloquent impressive, even scriptural, and they're good prayers, but generic they are. We have lines for this and that. We regurgitate and roll off the tongue familiar phrases. But if you removed the name of that city or the nation or the church or whatever, if you remove the name, would you be able to recognize where or what it is that you're praying for? Like we're praying to break strongholds. We're praying for mental health. We're praying to see God move. Okay, good. What precisely are you calling on God to break? What specific strongholds are you praying to break? What cultural flows are you praying to reverse? Not just generic topics, like reaching outside of your own life, what are we praising the Lord for? Precisely, specifically. For God to move powerfully in an area, I'm convinced we need more than just surface level prayer. A city or nation has a spiritual fabric that has been woven since its inception. And research into the spiritual fabric is instrumental of intercessory prayer. Co-laboring with the Lord, we can develop informed prayer that calls upon the Lord to transform cities. It begins with inquiring of the Lord. As responsible stewards of the local church, we're required to inquire of the Lord in patience and follow his orders. Now, our research that will lead to informed prayer begins with prayer. Saul was anointed by God through Samuel to be the king of Israel. He was the one called to lead the people of God in the land. And facing a battle for the land, he inquired of the Lord. But because he didn't get an immediate response, he sought guidance from the wrong sources. So Saul died for his breach of faith. Not only was Saul removed from office, the battle was lost and God tore the kingdom out of his hand and gave it over to David. This shepherd boy, now grown, regularly inquired of the Lord and asked to know the will and the ways of God in the land. Now, we don't want to be souls who are removed 
from the office of the land because impatiently we sought man's strategy and tradition. We want to be Davids, we want to be Daniels and Joshuas who sought counsel and direction from God because he is the one with the spiritual map. So the question I've asked myself, and I'm, I guess I'm asking you, is do we know the land that we minister on? I attended a course co-led by Alistair Petri, or Petri uh, and I appreciate his work on this. He calls it prophetic ditch digging, a drawing on 2 Kings chapter 3. The leaders of Israel had vision and strategy, but it led to marching in circles and then the water ran dry. They lacked the power of God. Elisha the prophet told them to dig ditches in the valley, even though the ground was dry and they saw no rain. But the miraculous rain did fall and the ditches were full of life-giving water. And the ditches were instrumental in winning the battles against the invading army. Now, sometimes we want to march with our own vision, but God requires us to sharpen the tools and dig down first so that he can flow into it. For informed prayer, based on the spiritual fabric, we do three things. We uncover the challenges of the area. We discover what is going on, which in turn enables us to recover what God's plan is for the land, for the city, for the church, for the community, etc. We want to see the city, the church, the land as God sees it. Take a look at these examples. In Numbers 13, we read, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. Now, notice first off that Moses is in conversation with God, which means prayer first. Now, secondly, God could have just told them about the land, but he wanted them to witness things with their own eyes open. It informed these men of the landscape of the land. Were they strong or weak? Were there few or many? Was the land good or bad? Were there cities like camps or strongholds? Were they rich or poor? Like, what was the landscape like? And this intel in turn gives rise to intercessory prayer. God, how do we go about it? What are you making us aware of? We see the example in Revelation. Jesus downloaded to John intel on the seven churches written in Revelation. He didn't just give him words. He was told to write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. John's eyes were opened from a distance to the brutally honest imagery of the spiritual fabric of those churches. John's eyes were opened so he could communicate with the churches so they could be unblinded by their own issues, obstacles, and be encouraged. Now, we're all familiar with Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple. We like that bit, don't we? Um, but what did Jesus do before he cleansed the temple? And it's easy to miss, but it was the day before when he entered the temple on a donkey to much fanfare. What did he do when he entered? Well, Mark records. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. And after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. And then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Now Jesus knew it was already late and going dark, but before he opened his mouth, before he acted, 
He took a good look around the day before with his men to carefully discern from the Father in heaven the spiritual fabric of Jerusalem. Now we like the flipping and the preaching, but what about the quiet discernment of the spiritual fabric of our city? What will we discover? Why are things the way they are? What are the obstacles to restoration? What were the pivotal points in history of the city? What is the economic makeup of the city? What is the health of the body of the church? What are the prevailing spirits poisoning the roots of culture? How does the city sit within the nation and the nation within the world and so forth? So that is what we're going to do. We're going to look outside of ourselves, outside of our own bubble, and discover some insights into the spiritual fabric of Manchester. The woven layers of, of history and culture and battles, altars, identity. Now, I will comment and make some of the connections, but for the most part, I'm not going to spell everything out. And this is purposeful and intentional. We must be wise as serpents when addressing some things publicly. Now, I'm going to ask questions and you can make most of the connections. And because God may be revealing to you some things that he isn't revealing to me, dependent upon how he is positioning each of us. And let's ask God, what are you seeing that we're not seeing? What is hidden and invisible to the eye that is causing conflict, unnecessary division, holds, uh, distortion of divine order and so forth? If we are to ask God, for his name to be remembered in our city, for a return of his presence to our land, then we are required to worship the Father in spirit and truth, according to his word, alongside the spiritual aspect. Lord, open our eyes to see it. Help us to make the connections. Now, the result is that we have a spiritual mapping tool to be used alongside the gifts of the Spirit. A map or fabric that is forever changing and thickening as every second ticks. Therefore, we don't just ask once to look behind the scenes of the stage. We continue to seek the Lord, asking to open our eyes to it. We can then pray through the fabric, not just surface level prayer, but mature prayer. What I mean by mature prayer, by the way, is not speaking a little posher, you know, with a, with a depth of vocabulary, or speaking with a soft voice, or even a shouty voice, because we really mean it. Like, I don't want us to get confused, because we're, we're very good at confusing ourselves. Um, <laughs> some of the most mature prayers I've heard have been said through a snotty nose, or an annoying accent, or perhaps saying very little, but their heart is aligned with God's heart through investigative tools quickened by the Spirit. When we pray through the fabric, we know what we are praying for, how to pray, not just mirroring the other guys in the room because that's how they do it in this culture. No, which chains to break, what to thank God for, what to ask forgiveness for. And when we do that with this new insight, God enables us to naturally begin to express kingdom ethos. Demonstrations of the power of the kingdom touch down and the people begin to taste the kingdom. It's not about the works of God. We're not using this spiritual tool to prod God to dance so we get attention. It's, it's likely and perhaps most desired that it will be the hidden prayer warriors that, that walk the streets out of the bright lights that will be used and rewarded in the age to come. Signs and wonders and displays of apostolic authority are previews of the coming kingdom that testify to the ways of God 
in his process to restore cities, and God gets the glory. When Solomon had finally built the temple in Jerusalem and consecrated it and offered sacrifices upon it, looking around at the impressive structure and breathing in the sweet aromas from the altars, the priests and the king would be dressed immaculately and firmly in charge of the city. You would think that all was well. But that night, after the fanfare of the opening of the temple, the Lord appeared to Solomon. And here's what he said. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Wait a minute. God had prospered them already. He granted them the temple and its service and stability, etc. We can have a shiny church building planted in the city, but the people and the land needs dealing with spiritually. Humility and repentance will result in their sins forgiven, but also, and it's easy to miss, their land will be healed. Now in the West, we tend to think of our faith in terms of the individual. We need to remember that God deals with groups of people and their land also. Now think about it, it seems strange to spiritually deliver a people and then let them go and live in a demonically infested, defiled land again. Now, what would be the point in helping people to be rescued out of a lion's den, bandage them up, and then throw them back into the lion's den again, right? Into the same land. Ideally, we would rescue them, clear out the lions, right? Clean the place up before they go back, right? Even when Daniel was released from the lion's den, he didn't say, uh, actually, I might just turn this place into a nice apartment. It's like, no, he wanted to get out of there and return to his lodgings, which were soaked in prayer. You know, God wants to forgive the sins of the people and heal the land. Why? Because that is the ultimate plan in returning to Eden. He's not just going to heal the people. He will heal the entire earth we live on. So, we call for God to do that in part now as a deposit of the future within our communities. Just to step back for a moment, the very nature of the land is defiled with sin and it is that that needs cleansing. However, there is the demonic aspect and we need to understand who is running the show. Right? God, God is sovereign over all. God is in control of the universe. However, Satan is temporarily in charge of the earth since Adam sub submitted to him. He has thousands and thousands of fallen angels and evil spirits organized and working for him. There are demonic, spiritual, authoritative structures that all lead to Satan. It is likely that all cities and nations have powerful demons who are in charge, who are fed reports and who report to higher ranks. For example, we see in Daniel 10 how the prince, the demon in charge of Persia, resisted the angelic messenger visiting Daniel. Now think about that. That means that, that Manchester will likely have a powerful and wicked demon in charge with many minions under them, right, working for them, staining the spiritual fabric. Now, this isn't something to be paranoid about or obsess over. Right? We go about our daily business, but with our eyes open to the reality. So there is a spiritual aspect 
to our nation, to our city. And I don't say dimension because it isn't a parallel world, right? The, the natural and the spiritual are entwined. There is visible and invisible, spiritual and natural, and the two are woven together. So for example, our person is spiritual, woven into the physical. We are knitted in the womb. God creates the spiritual and knits it to the natural. Also, God has an army of angels to minister and intercede. And we see that with Michael, who is a high-ranked angel over the nation of Israel. So while there are demonic structures, there are also angelic structures that are fed the truth of what's going on uh, from HQ in heaven. God has infinitely more power to call upon, and he has given us his Holy Spirit to operate within. When we pray to be broken from demonic chains, we need our eyes open as to what we are calling upon God to break. We cannot free this world completely from demonic activity. God has handed it over to Satan until Jesus returns. We can't always remove demons from their post. We should be careful that we don't overstep our boundaries and coverings and each remain within our sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. But evil spirits can be cast out and specific strongholds broken. So that is where digging into the historic fabric and inquiring of the Lord comes in to discern which chains can be broken, what forces can or cannot be cast out, and then asking the Lord for wisdom to apply that discernment. So God wants the people and the land to be cleansed, and so should we. By the way, a city cannot humble itself and repent if it does not know what and who it is turning to and turning from. A land can only be healed when the cause and consequence of sin has been identified and addressed under God's direction. We are required to lead with humility, repentance and fear of the Lord so that God responds to our prayers. Now, Often we want revival to immediately come because we've held a conference, right? And, and everyone's paid the £30 to attend and the lights are flashing and we're praying as loud as we can. But land needs to be prepared to receive cleansing and blessing. To understand a land and its defilement, we must understand its history. Lord, show us the land as you see it. Benjamin Disraeli, the Jewish and former British Prime Minister, said what Manchester does today, the world does tomorrow. Manchester is known as the City of Firsts. That's its nickname, the City of Firsts. The first public library in the English-speaking world. The first steamboats operated on the Bridgewater Canal. The first totally artificial waterway. The first mills to use steam power, paving the way for mass production techniques. The world's first passenger railways started operating from a purpose-built station. It was the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution, the birthplace of the worldwide cooperative movement. The first law in thermodynamics was discovered in Manchester. The first professional permanent orchestra, the first mechanically powered submarine. Manchester is where the atom was first split. The first artificially induced nuclear reaction, initiating the field of nuclear physics. It's where Charles Rolls met Frederick Royce. The first computer in the world with a stored program and memory was built in Manchester. And there's way more.
I've ordered a stack of books on the history of Manchester, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the history, um, the pivotal decisions, the activity, the appointments, the battles, the cultural turning points, the corporate mindset. Uh, some of the things we're going to look at include the worst slum in Europe that inspired a few men that would have truly global implications. Um, what were Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels doing in a Manchester library? The Balfour Agreement, signed in London, but what's that got to do with Manchester? Manchester has been a battleground, um, bombings, murder, rape. We're going to reach back almost 2,000 years of history looking at what the Romans in Manchester and the legends that then followed it. In the modern times, the woke culture, sex, identity, order, and where was the church in all of this? And when you watch each video, I want you to ask some questions. How does what happened then and what is happening now alter the spiritual fabric? What links from the past or even other strands of the fabric do you see? What is God revealing and teaching you? And here's where we're going to start. Angel Meadows. 